Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio, broadcasting from the top of the historic Hayburn Building here at 106.5 FM. And we live stream anywhere you are in in the world with an internet signal. You can catch us live at forwardradio.org. And it's a great resource for getting involved in the station. Uh, we rely entirely on your support to keep this station going, and it only costs $20 a day for this this great community resource. So, hey, we could totally afford this, Louisville. If we all just chip in a few bucks at forwardradio.org, we can keep this station going uh, for another four years uh, here at 106.5 FM. And we also want more volunteers. Uh, this is all volunteer run, so maybe you want to get behind the microphones or behind the scenes. You can click participate at forwardradio.org and learn about that. And if you want to hear the show you're hearing right now, again, if you if you missed part of it or you want to share it with somebody, all of the archives of our programs and podcast versions are available at forwardradio.org. Well, what we do on Sustainability Now each week is bring in cool people, sometimes people I've never met before or I've only met via email, and now I get to sit down with them in person and have a great conversation, and I'm excited to do that today with a L student named Nora Alshamari. Welcome, Nora. Hi, thank you for having me. Finally be able to meet each other. It's yeah. not behind a screen. I know, right? <laughs> That's so cool. Um, Nora approached me in the spring about uh, helping mentor her on a project that you just did, uh, traveling to uh, major cities in the U.S., Chicago, New York, D.C., Seattle, and San Francisco, traveling uh, mostly by rail or at least locally by rail from May 20th through June 23rd. Uh, this was part of her Brown Fellowship at UofL, and she's a senior majoring in computer information information systems. Tell us about the Brown Fellows, what that program is and how it connects to this project before we get into the project itself. Absolutely. So it is essentially a mentorship scholarship at the University of Louisville. It's just one of those four year things that you can apply uh, as you're applying to the university, you know, interviews, this and that. Yeah. Uh, after you get in, you you have these set requirements, essentially, where, you know, they want you to become ambassadors to the state. So they really give you an inside look into the state. But they also want you to be well-rounded in the sense of being able to interact with the people outside of the state and outside of the country. So that's why we have our enrichment projects after our sophomore and junior years, yeah. where they just, you know, they give you money and they said, you need to develop your own project. It needs to be about something you're passionate about. And it needs to be about something that you know, you're going to be able to learn from and essentially just enrich your experience. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I don't know anything about transportation because here in Louisville, ours is pretty limited. Yeah. So I was like, I really, I would really like to see these bigger cities, how they're working with it. And if it could even be applied to a city like Louisville. And your project was titled Decades Behind, The Future of Passenger Rail in the United States, <laughs> which is so cool. I am a huge rail fan. I've always traveled by rail uh, since, you know, I made a commitment to never get a driver's license because I knew it was unhealthy <laughs> and polluting. And then you got to start figuring out, well, how are you going to get it from point A to B? And that's when, you know, I started discovering the amazing rail system in D.C. where I grew up and then started thinking about how to get between cities. Well, suddenly I learned about Amtrak. And uh, even though it hasn't served Louisville for many, many years now, Amtrak is, is still an amazing resource. And you can catch a bus to Indianapolis or Cincinnati from here to get on the system. I'll be doing that for my vacation. So you were traveling from May to June on Amtrak. Tell us about your, your vision for this and how it all played out. Yeah, so essentially, um, in the beginning, I was like, okay, from Cincinnati, because I started at Cincinnati, uh -huh. from Cincinnati to San Francisco, I'm going to do all rail. Well, you learn very quickly 
early that it takes don't, time. Yes, you don't want to be on the these trains for like 36 plus hours. So I limited it to if the train is below 24 hours, then I will take just the regular ticket. Coach, uh, yeah. Coach ticket. So mm -hmm. I did I did most of them coach tickets. Um, and then one, I just wanted to experience the rooms. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, very different experiences. Right, very right. Very different experiences. But from, just to break it down, from Cincinnati to D.C., I took a train. And then from D.C. to New York, I took a train. From New York to Chicago, I took a train. Uh, Seattle, no, sorry, Chicago to Seattle. I took a plane because that one was just a little too long. Yeah. And then from Seattle to San Francisco, I took a, a train. I got a room oh there. Oh my gosh. And then I just so took a great. plane home. But I think for the most part, I got a good taste of really all the experiences when it comes to Amtrak and who they are. Wow. And this was your first time on, on passenger rail? First ever, yes. Wow. <laughs> so amazing. Oh, I can't wait to dig, dig in and talk to you about this. But you were also interested in the local transit system, too, once you got to these major cities as well. Absolutely. So the Amtrak, really, I was thinking of it from more of a high high-speed rail perspective because, yes. you know, there's people Amtrak versus high-speed rail. But the local rail perspective was also just a different faucet of the project. I just, I mean, you go to Europe, you experience their rail systems, how efficient they are, how essentially not busy the streets are. Right. So I came here, I was like, oh, when have I ever gone to a city in, in the U.S. that's like that? You know, so I just figured these places would be the best. They have the most developed systems, as well as just some newer ones like the Seattle system and uh, the BART system in San Francisco. So I was like, let me just get a taste of all of them, I suppose, the old or the new. Yeah. So how were you documenting your experience? Were you just taking notes or photos or videos or tell us about that piece of it? Absolutely. So I tried to document it in every way I could. So <laughs> lots of photos. Lots Any watercolors? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm working on those right now. <laughs> I can't wait to see those and share them on the radio. <laughs> but um, I just a whole bunch of photos yeah. and uh, lots of notes in regards to like, are they showing the next stops? Is there screens? You know, the DC system has a screen that tells you exactly what the next stop is. Yeah, that's so it's nice. very advanced. The New York system's a little, <laughs> a little older, so maybe on the newer trains you're able to see like a little light up spots, but for the most part, you know, you might not be able to see that. Is there audio? You know, is it telling you where the next stop is? Are the stops accessible? This and that. Just so basically a whole bunch of notes, a whole bunch of photos. And then I began before I even went, I, I had a little survey that I tried to base off of my previous experiences as well as just some documentation that I saw. You know, how does how does the, the system interact with the houseless population? How does the system interact with the local stores? You know, things, things along those lines. So I did have some clear-cut questions before I went in. But a lot of it was photos and notes. And who are you interviewing to, to get the answers to those surveys? So yeah, in each city, in each city, I tried to approach somebody from a local transit authority. Mm -hmm. And then also with the high-speed rail, I did try to, there's just high-speed rail everywhere. So like <laughs> California and Chicago had huge ones. DC had some big ones as well. So those were a majority of my meetings, but the local transit authorities were very helpful in the sense that you got really everybody, you know, urban planning, somebody who's just interested, somebody who's on advocacy boards within the area. Yeah. So really, it's just it's it's in all faucets of the government. And I was asking questions left and right. I was like, how old is your system? You know, how often does it need to be replaced? <laughs> really weird infrastructure questions, too, that had really no relation. And they're like, um, we just replaced everything. I said, oh, OK, how much did that cost? <laughs> yeah. Were these folks uh, sort of surprised to see a younger person interested in rail? Or were they like, I yeah, see, we get this all the time? I don't know. That's the thing. They really took it into stride. I didn't really feel that, you know, it was a really odd request. But for the most part, it was just they treated me like 
I was an adult, which is so surprising because as a college student, you'll have these interests and you'll be meeting with actual adults, quote unquote, actual adults. So at that point, they were interested in the sense that it was a project and it seemed developed. And I think I presented it in a developed way. Yeah. Which is good because I spent months and months working on it. So I hope I presented it in a developed way. <laughs> but, but yeah, so for the most part, they treated me, they treated me pretty well. They answered all my questions pretty, pretty clearly. And all of them, for some reason, here's documentation. I think I have like at least nine pamphlets, like heavy duty nine of those pamphlets that they've given me, like just in case you have any more questions. Oh, nice. Here's some conferences. And it's like, ah, nice. I didn't realize the community was so accepting. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's good to hear. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you too about, were you using any apps to navigate these transit systems at all? Because I know there's like the transit app, which is supposed to be good for the whole mm -hmm. country. I don't, I'm not a user, so I don't really know what that's like. But tell me about that experience. Yeah, so let's just say that phone was in my hand 24-7. All the time. <laughs> All the, time. Uh, the systems, some of them are more complex and more confusing than others. And then also, it depends. For buses, I needed the transit app just because was I going to go online and go check every single one of their stops? Yeah. So it's, it, that just became a little bit more difficult. But for the railways, a lot of these places had you know, up-to-date signs that are like, this rail, the, the E-train is three minutes away, this and that. Yeah. So th that was good. But then again, that's that's not always, you know, in every single place. It was a little difficult. So that, that transit app, I love the transit oh, app. Oh, good. And also some of them had local apps, like the Chicago had the Ventura app, which essentially is the same exact thing. And you can really plan your trip with any of these apps. Yeah. But the, like I said, the transit app was a, was a lifesaver. Yeah. A lifesaver. Okay. Highly recommend the transit Absolutely. app. Absolutely. And it, it even works here in Louisville. You can use it for our local bus system, mm -hmm. the TARG. And I know you can also reserve bike share, the Louvelo bike share through it. So that makes me wonder if you ever got connected with anything like that, a bike share program or even scooters. I don't know. In any of those cities. I think I did in Seattle. It okay. might not have been Seattle, but I did see Lyft has bikes everywhere Lyft. nowadays. Okay. So um, so you really had an option of here, the, here are all the public transportation options as well as you were able to like reserve actual uh, spaces within those buses and what is it those personal like driver programs I, I really don't know what they're exactly yeah. called but like Uber and Lyft uh -huh. and stuff like that so you had all options you know short of buying a car on those on those apps so well and this i'm glad you mentioned that i mean that, that's why this is such an important conversation to have because i think a lot of people in a town like louisville which doesn't have the best transit and <laughs> doesn't have any passenger rail struggle to even imagine what it might be like to live without a car and yet be able to get around yeah right and so this must have been quite an eye-opening experience for you that there are people all over the country uh, Absolutely. who do this every day, Absolutely. right? I loved it. See, it depends. Okay, so there's different you know, degrees of walkable cities. Yeah. Maybe it's just I didn't like walking up these hills, but San Francisco, I was like, <laughs> this is pretty walkable, but you're going to have to put some effort it's into kind it. kind of exhausting. Yeah. yeah. DC systems were a little bit more spaced apart because they're newer, so those were a little less walkable, but the cities, they were paved in a way that made it very easy for you to get from place to place. Mm -hmm. New York was absolutely my favorite. Really? You know, stations on you know every six blocks or even probably less than that it's the density uh, that makes it work absolutely. right absolutely and it's just you can just walk anywhere and find what you need yeah so when i was there i loved that in the sense that you you weren't constricted to an area right because of where you live but as i came home i'm thinking i was like okay well i live in the suburbs um <laughs> once you get outside the suburbs it's there's no 
sidewalks yeah for probably another mile till you get to a main road right so at that point you know i've seen people walking through the shrubs yeah because you know, it's our to, only option it's horrible i feel so bad because it's because it's like the city is is not supporting them in a sense yeah. that they need to be able to make their livelihood they need to get to work but at what risk you know if they're walking at night they could get hit they could get killed essentially and at that point whose fault is it really yeah. because the drivers they, they're i mean they're they're driving on the road but in any case if somebody were to fall over wear dark clothes on it's just it's a huge safety issue that i feel like a lot of these bigger cities had time to figure it out yeah and they figured it out so far in the past that really nobody even thinks about it anymore isn't that great yeah i mean it's so crazy to me to imagining developing any area of a city whether it's suburban or downtown and just assume that everybody is going to be driving their own car everywhere they go everywhere they go right mm-hmm. and so that you don't have to do anything but pave a roadway and parking <laughs> i mean think about all the people who simply cannot do that even if they wanted to which i i'm someone who voluntarily does not want to be a part of any of that right <laughs> uh, but there are people who couldn't possibly afford to have their own car there are people too frail or mm-hmm. with uh, w- with all kinds of handicaps or vision issues mm-hmm. who can't drive right there are two people who are too young mm-hmm. to drive lots of people who are too young to drive right so you add up like all of these people for whom it's not even an option and then you build a whole city and ignore all those people like, to me it's insane <laughs> absolutely well it's because they force you to be in an environment that needs a car yeah you know you have these long driveways yeah you have these these hills but the thing is, is that lots of cities approach hills in different ways because I, I live on a hill. But I, when I think about it, I was like, OK, well, I could walk down this hill. But, <laughs> you know, how often do the bus stops come? How often yeah. do do uh, do I feel would I feel comfortable walking uh, late at night and this and that? So it's it's difficult in the sense that these cities have developed themselves around public transportation. Um, and it's very clear who does that. Uh, but it's very clear who doesn't. And yeah. Louisville is definitely one of those things where it's like, okay, well, I guess we'll get we'll get buses. We'll just sooner or later. We'll just put this transit system on top of a city for which it's nearly impossible for them to make that work. Basically, yeah. like the 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 city is so spread out, and we have so such unwalkable areas, like you mentioned, uh, that even if the bus sort of went to my neighborhood, I couldn't get to it. Right? Or, yeah. Or uh, you know, the buses don't come frequently enough because it's too expensive to have frequent buses for a spread out city. Right? So uh, we really have made it difficult for people here in Louisville, and I'm I'm glad you're thinking like about how how it could look differently and how we could sort of redevelop and redensify in a way that would make these kinds of options work for us. That would be wonderful. Um, I'm speaking today with a senior uh, at UofL who's a Brown fellow, a Louisville native named Nora Alshmeri, and she just completed uh, a, a Decades Behind, the Future of Passenger Rail in the U.S. Summer Enrichment Project from May to June, uh, traveling the country uh, by rail and experiencing what it's like to actually be able to get around car-free. And it's this is an exciting time to talk about this issue, right? Because right before you left, uh, the Biden administration mm-hmm. announced this big plan for over a trillion dollars of infrastructure investment, including lots of investment for these local and intercity transit systems. And as a result, Amtrak released this new map with plans for, oh, what was the date? 2030 or something like Mm -hmm. that, which actually included Louisville on the map once again. Oh, absolutely. I was so excited about that (laughs) because it came at such a perfect time as I was developing my project. (laughs) And I made sure to bring it up with just about everybody I spoke to. Uh, 
that I met with about high speed rail and they're like, yeah, this is great. Um, you know, it's the five point plan. And I was like, how is it going to work with, you know, airports? How is it going to work with, you know, big oil, the car industry and things like that? And they're like, well, it's, you know, we'll just do our own thing. <laughs> That's essentially what they said. So what about the pushback? They said, We'll just do our own thing. <laughs> it's one of those things that you have to approach it in a way that you understand you're going to get pushed back by people who are, are older than you and have more money than you, right. essentially. That, that's what those industries are. Uh, so you just got to get used to it. And and the way that they presented it to me was so interesting because at first I thought, okay, well, if if we got lines from Louisville to Chicago, let's just use that example. Yeah. Um, I would take that. I would m- most definitely take it. Yeah. Um, but what about the planes? You know, I could take a plane from Louisville to Chicago. What about that? And they told me that the shorter run planes, so the small ones, uh, you actually lose money on because those are the ones that bring you to the larger airports and and that's where you get your money from those international and cross-country flights. So those short lines, they're losing money on them. So technically, if they were to work together with other folks, aka Amtrak, if they were to finish developing their lines, then it would benefit them in a sense that you're getting these people directly into these larger cities. If I wanted to fly out of Chicago, I would have to drive six hours or so. But if I could take a train straight there to Chicago, it would be absolutely wonderful. And I I think I'd increase the chances of flying from Chicago than I would Louisville, which at the same time, I guess it's a little bad for the Louisville airport, but I guess if we wanted to think about it from a global sense. (laughs) Well, why does it have to be just an airport? Why can't it be an inner city transit hub and have a train station there uh, and connections to other cities? Oh, absolutely. Bus systems, right? Like you should have all kinds of options in one place. And that's, that's sort of the vision, I think. I don't know if you talk to the rail advocates in Chicago, but to create a sort of hub that connects the O'Hare airport Mm. uh, with the downtown Amtrak station and, and has high-speed connections to other cities. So, like, if you if you had a high-speed rail line, Louisville to Chicago, it would probably take no longer to take that than it would to, you know, fly and then wait at a layover, you Absolutely. Know? <laughs> That's the thing. When people talk about flights, it's like, oh, but it's, you know, it's an hour and a half. No, it's not. Yeah, it's you got to get to the airport an hour and a <laughs> half early, right? You got to sit there. You got to wait. <laughs> if you need your bag checked, it's like, oh, if you really were to do all the math, I mean, it would be shorter than driving, but I'm, how much shorter? Right, right, So right, at right. the same time, it's like you could have the comfort of a bus or a train mm. where you just hop on, you sit down, and you be quiet. That's it. <laughs> That's really it. And no TSA screening. It's so you can easy. bring whatever you want. You you got peanut butter, no problem. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that. Tell me about your sort of. I'm sure you had flown before this, yes. right? So you know what that's like. But tell me about how that contrasted to getting on a train in, in yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the trip was five weeks. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm gonna take these these planes, I don't want to check my bags, right? Uh, just to make it easier. So I I got my own little suitcase, but everything has to be below that 3.4 ounces. So that was. <laughs> little difficult um i had to separate face wash into like six little bottles oh what a pain uh, <laughs> so in that sense it was just difficult and i had to make sure i was there early because sometimes they don't give you seats um sometimes they over they over purchased or they overbooked they the flights overbooked, yes yes they overbooked one of my flights that um, never happens on the train yeah never never, never. But they're all full. All the seats are full. Yeah. Because it's a thing. They expect everybody to come in um, and sit down. But one of the big issues with that is that I read about is uh, a lot of these trains are from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. So really, you can't uh, you can't overbook in the sense that a lot of people you can only have the max amount of seats of the max amount of people on these trains. Um, a lot of people on planes, I guess, just just don't come. 
Yeah, they, they don't show flights. up and they miss their flight. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. for the most part, and then since everything is in the air, you don't really have to build infrastructure yeah. for for these trains. So a lot of people are sort of anti-train in that sense. Like, it's just a waste of money. It's just a waste of money. <laughs> but it's like, please look at it from a grander sense. You know, yeah. Look at it from a sense of people who aren't as privileged as you right. in the financial and accessibility sense. Yeah. But a lot of people forget about that. So yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that if you don't recognize that, Nothing I say is going to make you recognize it, so that's hard. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. You want to talk about who who rides these trains? Absolutely. Um, everybody. If I were to really break Isn't it down, amazing? it'd be yeah. everybody. It's um, In every city I was in, you'd see families on yeah. buses. You'd see kids. You'd see people with strollers, buses and trains, if I were to just you know talk about local yeah. transit as well. Um, you'd see people in, in suits who just come off of work. You'd see kids. You'd see high school students. You'd see the elderly. The elderly was a huge population yeah. on one of these public transports. Um, yeah, for the most part, they're just it's just everybody. And a lot of these cities actually have either tax breaks or you get free bus passes from your from your jobs because uh, they want to encourage people to use the yeah. systems. So that's the thing. When when people here, I always talk to people here in Louisville, and they're like, well, why would I ride the bus? You know, like, it's, you know, and then they have this stigma around it. Oh, totally. The, it's all stigma. The They've never actually tried yeah, it. Absolutely. They're like, the bus is for poor people. That's yeah. really their bottom line. It's like, that's that's not how it, you know, it's, it's not how it works, but okay. And, um, but I don't think, I don't think a lot of people sense that in the bigger cities just because it is a way of life it's yeah. not an alternative yeah it's it's a way of life so it's just everybody's in and off in and off um and so i think that 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 way becomes normalized but that just it's due to extensive use yeah and so. a, another really cool thing about talking about passenger trains right now is that we have a president in the white house who has ridden the trains all his life and is a big rail fan and yes. understands it. So when you say literally anybody in America can be seen riding a train, it goes right up to the White House mm -hmm. now, which is so exciting. Uh, we'll you, you mentioned it a little bit about the sort of different experience between being a coach passenger and a passenger in a sleeper car. Mm, so yes. tell me about that different experience for you. Absolutely. Um, when I tell you, it's well, it's a cost difference. It's a big cost difference. Yeah, it sure it's is. It's like three times the cost yeah. um, for a a, lot, a little bit of these longer lines, but but it includes meals. It does. It includes and a private room. Yes. Which, you know, if you're thinking about it in terms of like a 24-hour driving trip where I had to eat meals and get a hotel, it's pretty competitive to that. I mean, well, if you were to think about it with the hotel sense, I think that it's worth it. Yeah. So, uh, but as I was taking it, it's you just come in, you drop your stuff off, you go into your room. Nobody approaches you. Nobody talks to you. You get your own view. It's very simple, very easy. Um, the, and then there's somebody who actually works with you. I don't know their official names. I think there's a sleeping car attendant. Yes, that's what it is. And he just comes in and says, this meal is here. You know, what do you, what would you like? Or you can come down for your meal. And so it's, it's a lot like on a plane, but very, very much so comfortable it's very comfortable yes. and you forget how long you're on there i was on there for 24 hours and i didn't feel any discomfort at all right just because it's it just felt like i was living life normally you can get up and walk around go yeah. take a shower go to the bathroom very get up simple. and go to the dining car when they want they come and make your bed for you at you, night so in that sense if you're able to to get that experience i would highly recommend yeah, it yeah um so that was wonderful but when i was in coach i was in it for 19 hours i think this was from new york to chicago it was the absolute worst time i've ever experienced wow in my life. and it was the it, i think it's because of how long the trip was yeah got I, a little much yeah when when you take coach at least in my personal experience i would put you know just like 
a threshold on it. If it's over this many <laughs> don't hours. Go this don't, yeah. So it's just difficult because it's just cramped. You know, it's it's a lot bigger than a plane is. So oh yeah, not if, cramped compared yeah, to a plane. Yeah, no, absolutely not that. But in in the sense that you're just around people. Yes. So if you if you you know if it's a little difficult for you to sit in the same place. Uh, for extensive periods of times or things like that, then I personally wouldn't recommend it, but I would recommend it definitely if you're going on a, just a regular old day trip. Yeah. Regular old day trip. Really, Amtrak is, is wonderful, and, you know, they cover so many bases, and they have so many avenues that you can take these these transportation routes down. Uh, and they also let people off. I was so surprised. They let people off. You know, sometimes if they have to switch engines from gas to electric, mm-hmm. they're like, here's 40 minutes. Go get, you know, go yeah. get some lunch. Yeah. Go do something. Yeah. Or like, here's a smoke break. Smoke breaks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's Stretch like, breaks. it's very, it feels like a, uh, like a, a car ride. Yeah. It feels like, you know, just a little Where you don't have to family. worry about anything. You don't have to look for anything. Mm-hmm. You don't have to plan your route. You just sit back and enjoy the ride. I right? felt like a kid on a, on a, yeah. on a trip. That's it. <laughs> yeah. It was so, much, so easy. That's great. Oh, my gosh. Did you see any fun things out the window? Because one thing about trains is that they will go to places you can't really get to in, in any other means, right? Sometimes they're along a roadway, but sometimes you're in places that only a train will go through. You're going through, like, people's backyards sometimes. Yes. Oh, it was so bizarre. So obviously you get your cool, like, oh, this is beautiful. Here's a little waterfall, this and that. But I mean, that was expected. I did not expect to go through people's backyards. Yeah. And they stand there and wave at you as you go past. <laughs> and that I, fun? I loved it. But at first I thought it was so odd. And I brought it up with one of my meetings at one of my meetings. And I was like, well, um, you know, you're developing these lines. Or is it not a problem to develop them through people's homes, essentially? And then he looked at me, he said, Honey, we're not developing them through homes. The homes are developed across them. Yeah. So these lines are so old that people really, they grow up around them. Yep. They build their houses. They know exactly what's there. Yeah. And they really, you know, it's part of life, which uh-huh. is, this is also bouncing off of that. When I was in Seattle, I told, I asked him, he's, I said, do they not get tired of like, you know, at any point in time, you can look in downtown Seattle and see five buses. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, do they not get tired of that? And, they, <laughs> and he said, No. That is such that is such a, a like a Louisville way of thinking. I was like, "What do you mean? I don't understand." And he said, "This is just a way of life. It's just a way of life to people. So many people use it that it's just and like I said, it's just a way of life." Yeah. There's designated you know parts of the street for buses. They're consistently run. There's bus stops every other corner. So it's like it's just a way of life. Wow. It's just how people live. And they've accommodated to it. When I, people waved at me in the train, I waved back. I just thought it was fascinating. Isn't it great? Yeah. I love it. And there's such a sense of community on a train, whereas I feel like people, certainly in cars, there's everyone knows about the road rage. Like, like everyone else <laughs> on the road is your enemy, and you're trying to, like, keep them from slowing you down or whatever. <laughs> like, there's strange attitudes, very individualistic. And in an airplane, the times I've been on an airplane, people just seem to be generally cranky because you really are crammed in there. Oh, absolutely. And if there's a whining baby or something, like, it is just intolerable. But I haven't occasionally it can get like that on a train if it's really i don't know if the air conditioning stops working or something like that. <laughs> oh, i have a story about that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i found a lot more camaraderie like if you get up and go to that cafe viewing car absolutely um, you've got like community seating where you can sit down across the table from somebody and have a conversation mm-hmm. with somebody you've never met before you could play cards you know mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure it's much better pre-covid yes um, so yes. i really came at sort of the end end tail of covid in the I united states i wanted to ask about that too but... how it had been different yeah <laughs> but for the most part it's like you said the sense of community the, it seems it seems more human yeah and it seems less dir- like 
you know, when you're in an airport, you know everything's for profit. You're like, yeah. this is for profit. Even when they overbook flights, you're seeing it. You're like, you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, am, am I not a person? Am I yeah. just, you know, a, a ticket? But on trains, it feels so much more personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you interact with the attendants whenever you mm-hmm. get a meal. They're uh, they're just nice. I feel like everything's just calmer. Yeah. And because it's not that high speed, get from point A to point B, point A to point B. Yeah. Let's go, let's go, go, go. Right. That it just feels like, okay. Everybody on trains understands that it's going to take a little bit, yep. and they live their life a lot slower yeah. and a lot calmer. Yep, That's exactly what I thought it was. I loved it. Yeah, I love that experience. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because that's what I love about it. Is it's, it's a when I get on a train, it's a chance to just take a little slow down. Uh, even if I'm doing it for business purposes or whatever, like I can just relax and like, not feel those pressures yep. of of day to day life, and I don't need to worry about where I'm going or anything. I can just sit down mm-hmm. and just totally relax. I'm speaking today with a U of L student who just had her first experiences riding passenger rail this summer through an enrichment program with the Brown Fellows at UofL. Her name is Nora Alshamari, uh, and her project was entitled Decades Behind the Future of Passenger Rail in the U.S. So you're a computer information systems major, yes. and I've already heard you sort of talking a little bit about some of these apps and the information systems that you get in transit. Do you want to talk a little bit more about like how your major, how you saw your major connecting to what you experienced this summer? Absolutely. I think for the most part, I was just interested in it because of passenger rail as a whole um, as well as local transportation but when I thought about it some more when I actually spoke to more people I realized the technological aspect of it all it's very very it runs very deep Um, especially a lot of these systems are moving towards electric so you're having you know you're having a whole new revolution in a sense of it's essentially a new industrial revolution of everything changing it's shifting the perspective is changing Um, so as I was working I mean I was you know writing these rail systems as I was speaking to people the thought came across my mind i was like this seems like something that would be very interesting to work on you know in the real life after you graduate <laughs> so um yeah so a lot of it was eye-opening uh and and i you know i, I was like okay though this can be improved this can be mm. improved as time goes uh but i thought about it in a sense of how could i improve it how could my skills improve it but yeah so i think i don't know i think you might be a contender for a job after nice. after graduation and it's just it's just fun i just love it <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell me a little bit about your uh, your your opinions about the public transportation systems in the cities you visited. I don't know if you could rank them or something like that, but um, just just give me a little more feel for that for people who've never experienced something like that. Gotcha. Well, if I wanted to break it down in a binary, not good or bad, but a sense of what is easy to understand and what is not. Some cities are a lot more easier to understand than others are. So New York, D.C., Chicago, they have a central authority. So they have, you know, MTA, Metro Transit Authority, CTA, Chicago Transit Authority. It's all integrated. It's very easy to understand. Yeah. Everything is the same. Seattle works across like 22 counties or something like that. So theirs is a lot less organized. And theirs is, here is our one thing that brings us all together. We have a payment card. And that's it. So you can use that universally. Same thing with San Francisco. But San Francisco has uh, their systems. So they have AC Transit in Oakland, which is where I was staying. And then they have the BART system that brings you over. But then you have Muni while you're in San Francisco. um, Which includes streetcars. Yes, which does include (laughs) streetcars. And there's this fascinating Which we used to have here in There's this so interesting, though, because... They have streetcars that turn into underground. Oh, do they? Yeah, rails. And wow. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened because they're 
they're, they're slow. They're slow like regular old street cars. They follow the, you know, the streets, red light, green light, whatever. Yeah. But as soon as they go underground, just regular old oh, wow. underground like subway. rails. Yes, like a subway. And it's it's so interesting in that sense because that's the only city that I've seen that in. But um, like I said, those three cities, New York, Chicago, D.C., a lot easier because they do have that central authority. Um, and it's just everything's the same. Yeah. Everything, like you can get passes. I thought I figured the cities that were the easiest to navigate were the ones that I knew I could get a pass in because you don't have to worry about Okay, what if I ride the bus or the train yeah. 15 times in a day? I was going in and out of those trains. Yeah. I think I spent more time on those trains and buses than I did in my actual house <laughs> during the day. So um, having the ability, having the wow. privilege to use a pass was wonderful, especially because the passes were not expensive. You know, well, for a week, I guess. Um, if if I were to, to figure out the cost, uh, the amount of money I was spending with just a pay as you go was probably two or three times the cost of what I was using on a pass. So oh, those passes wow. were absolutely, they were a lifesaver. Absolutely. And Amtrak is doing a rail pass this summer. I just read about. Oh, that's wonderful too. Yeah. It was something amazing, like $200 for all, all you want, hop on, hop off rides or something like that. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, let's go back. Especially because those tickets at me, you know, from what was it? DC to, to New York was like 40 bucks. So I'm wow. just like, okay, well, if you were to take longer trips, hop on, hop off, you'd definitely make your money back yeah. very quickly. So yeah. I just I just love passes because they really remove the financial barrier when uh, and and it brings people in. And once you remove that financial barrier, you're gonna have people that are gonna come in, experience it, enjoy it, and come back. Yeah. So it's like a free sample, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and you're you're gonna suddenly have new mobility, which just opens new, you know, possibilities for people. Mm -hmm. Whether it's like access to green spaces and parks or healthcare or shopping or, you know, everything that people need, uh, jobs, of course, right, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, so th these services are really vital for quality of life. And I think it's one of the main things that r reduces our quality of life here in Louisville is not having access to integrated, eff efficient, transit uh and then interconnections to other cities so absolutely um i mean if you could bring it home and and think about how we might move towards a better louisville mm. in that regard uh what were some of your thoughts as you were riding those rails about it? what would this look like at home yeah so <laughs> when i went in um i went in thinking okay i want rail here and i want buses here and well, I mean, more developed and more more improved buses. Yeah. But I came out and I'm thinking maybe rail is not the best option for Louisville because um, a lot of these cities, they're densely populated in every port, you know, mm. every every stop. Mm -hmm. New York was densely populated in every spot, every stop. D.C., they noticed that in areas that there were train stops, the city around it developed. Oh, you know, yeah. train stops bring up development. Oh, yeah. So uh, that's that's great. But in Louisville, or do we really need that in certain areas? So I figured maybe an, a, a citywide tr uh, train wouldn't be all that beneficial because, like you said, we are so spread out and we do have um, a lot of neighborhoods and suburbs instead of um, areas where there is businesses, where there are restaurants and things like that. Um, so, so maybe not trains in a citywide sense, but definitely it could be possible in a from the University of Louisville to Bartstown, from the University yeah. of Louisville to downtown, or from the University of Louisville to, you know, St. Matthews. Um, it's just like this area is where it's a hub. Uh, but I have been on the road quite a few times on the highway where I'm sitting here thinking, 
are we usually this busy? <laughs> like it gets so busy sometimes where it's stopped traffic. And uh, a lot of that's, that's, that's some of the things that I heard from, from the, from the folks that I talked to, they said, yeah, well, we got there, our systems because it was so busy on the road. So, um, I tried to use that as a, you know, like a threshold. Are we busy enough? Are we not this and that? That's but funny. Improving public transportation and for buses is definitely, it's, it's, workable and it's something that we need to do yeah um and they need to run more frequently and they need to run faster um it shouldn't take you know 50 minutes to take a 20 minute car ride Mm. um without constant stopping you know the stops are understandable but it shouldn't just take that straight through because they're having to go all around the city instead of having direct lines because there's so few lines Mm -hmm. um so having that improved bus system i think is very possible in louisville uh it, it would be very beneficial in louisville as well getting better stops you know mm. these stops need to be paved they need to be sheltered i do yeah. i do see that we've improved that in the past few years but definitely that could have room for improvement um but yeah just having more frequent stops in downtown it's great you know downtown you see them all over the place but once you get out once you spread out a little bit more uh, they're less accessible they're less accessible around like hospitals mm. so like dutchman's lane i know has oh, yeah. has huge hospitals all all down the street you don't really see stops there. It's right off the highway because it's right off the highway. You yeah. don't see stops there. So um, I think buses would be really accessible. They'd be really wonderful for the city. Uh, maybe not trains. Maybe not trains. I don't know if we're big enough for trains, but they could be used. Yeah. They could. But yeah, buses I mean, definitely. People have talked about re- reviving light rail, uh, you know, through some sort of streetcar system again in Louisville. And, yeah, I mean, I get your point that uh, it's hard to imagine how that would work given how spread out we are right now but i also think it could be a spark potentially to Mm. some transit oriented development like you couldn't just put in the line you'd have to do some other policy things to say for example like all the parking around like right here in the hayward building like that's a problem right that makes a transit system fail because just your destinations are so spread yes. out. So if instead of this giant parking lot next to here, here in the Hayburn, we had a mixed-use development with all kinds of residences and some shops and restaurants, like that would be a destination instead of a desert like it is now, yeah. right? And then you would get that density to support the rail system. So there are these chicken and egg questions, like yes. what comes first? Do we have to redensify the city first, or because where are you going to put all the cars if you don't have a transit system? See, but a lot of these places <laughs> utilized, um, you know, you park your car and go so that can be done yeah they utilize like you said mixed-use development which we don't have a ton of it here yeah just for the naked eye you don't really see it as you're going down the street yeah. um and then lastly just having parking garages just they're, they're not as frequent but you do see them parking on top of buildings uh, yep. they really park wherever they can instead of making parking where they can <laughs> exactly so they like we we did it the opposite way from everybody yeah. else i was going places like why are these cars on top of a gas station like, what's going on here yeah, it's like that's what we have to use yeah, yeah or yeah. they make it in a sense that you have to pay to park mm-hmm. in a lot of these places mm-hmm. um which you know pushes people away because if you're paying the same thing which okay if you were to pay $127 a month for parking. You could just pay $127 a month for a monthly oh, pass sure. on a transit system. Sure. It would definitely be more beneficial in that sense. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if Louisville 
would really want to do that because we have Ford here. That's the thing. That's, when yes. you think about it, you always, <laughs> corporate it always interests. comes back to Ford. <laughs> it always comes back to Ford. And it's like, would we would it even be possible? Because I know, I know if we were to bring up that system, Ford would definitely push against it. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's hard. It's really hard to think about it. We have so we have so much else. We have UPS where they would benefit from a lot of these buses mm-hmm. and, and tr- public transportation. Uh, so really, are they going to clash? Or are they not? In the sense of what would the government want? You know, what does the government benefit from more? Yeah. So. Well, it's all a question of priorities and and urban planning mm-hmm. and, and forward thinking. And I just have yet to really see it from uh, Louisville Metro. Uh, and, and you know, it's, it's not like we don't do anything and we don't try at all. There, there are some efforts, but I, I don't feel like there's the integrated planning for how are we really going to think about a less car dependent city? I mean, that never seems to be at all top priority for Definitely, us. Definitely, yeah. And so as long as it's sort of like, well, maybe we'll do that someday. We continue to see the same sprawl problems absolutely, and, and we're not going to be able to make progress. So th- these, you know, this brings up a lot of uh, policy issues, uh, but you met folks around the country mm-hmm. who are advocating. Now, granted, they're in different contexts <laughs> where there already is pretty good transit, but they want even better. Right. So tell me some of the stories of some of these advocates and uh, how they're doing the work of advocacy. Absolutely. So in Seattle, I met somebody from the Seattle Rail Advocacy Group. Um, and he actually told me some interesting facts. The rail system there is very, it's very new. It's yes. only about 30 years old. Yeah. But it's pr- at the sense when you were looking at it, you're like, oh, this is 30 years of work. And it, but it's a lot of development. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of digging. It's a lot of actually, you know, figuring out where the lines are going to go. Sure. Who's going to pay for it. Um, and from, you know, from inception of the idea to actual creation, development and rail, uh, it's about 30 years. So wow. a lot of these older systems, like Chicago's been around for 100 years, uh, they've even gone through and replaced some of their lines. That's how old they've gotten. So is, is, are, would they be a, you know, a wonderful example to look at, or would Seattle be a better one for Louisville? So Seattle's the one I was looking at in the sense of, is it more applicable? Mm. Um, and, and so, yeah, he's like, yeah, we have the highest, highest rates of public transportation tax in the oh, city. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So when you think about it, you're like, well, it's, the money's going to have to come from somewhere. Oh, yeah. And, it's, and, and people are definitely going to have to take some of, the, some of the brunt of it. But Is it a gas tax or do you know how that tax I is applied? I don't know. He just said it was a public transportation tax. A public transportation tax. tax, huh. So, but that's, that's the thing. Here, if you were to say that, would people, you know, would there be an uproar? Right. Would there be an acceptance? Like, well, how right. would how people react? <laughs> so, um, how do you sell it? Right? Absolutely, yeah. That's absolutely. A key question. Yeah. And you know, are we doing light rail, heavy rail? Like, what is? There's so many questions, and yeah. and what's preferred. Uh, but yeah, no. When it comes to politics, politics is definitely that's it. Yeah. When it's, that's the two hardest thing: politics and money. Yeah. Once you get the politics, you got to figure out the money. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's difficult. But in a national sense, we like you said, we have the Biden administration that has been really on top of it and really vocal about who they want and what what they want to happen. Uh, but in in a sense of our local, uh, you know, our local, what have we been hearing? I really haven't heard anything yeah. from Louisville. Yeah. Um, so that's a little disappointing. Right. But we can also start a conversation. Yeah. You know, if there's nothing to happen, I can definitely, you know, please, <laughs> let me, please answer my questions. I have so many questions. That's uh, good. Yeah. So we need I, that. <laughs> I would love, yeah, I'm super excited to actually dig my fingers into what people here say. Just because, you know, I've gotten to experience you know, outside of the city, it's great. People are willing to talk about it because they've spent years studying it. 
Yeah. But how do we have that same, you know, do we have that same belief here? Do we have that same willingness to, to open a dialogue here? Mm. Who would I talk to? You know, mm. so it's there's a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, we're nearing the very end of our time, but you know, one thought that was popping in my mind when you talked about heavy rail, that makes me think of the whole other side of rail, which is freight, yes. right? And Louisville is very familiar with trains, but they're not trains that carry people. They're trains that carry, in some cases, coal, like fossil fuels or car parts. Or, mm-hmm. uh, they're basically serving corporate interests. Uh, and and we're all delayed by them, right? When they block our roadways and and you know they make noise in our neighborhoods and things like that. So it all feels kind of like a negative. Like all these trains are just kind of a problem for our city. Whereas if they actually served a public function and weren't just serving corporate interests and provided public services for people to get from point A to B, uh, boy, that might re have us as little villains rethink Definitely. our whole perspective well, on rail. High speed rail wants to utilize some of those as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's like when people think about it, they're like, oh, high speed rail, you got to build whole new rail whole for new that. rails. Not and necessarily. It's like, not, yeah. Some, I mean, obviously some of it's going to have to be new, but um, for the most part, nobody wants to nobody has the money and nobody has the time to create a whole new system right you know you're gonna have to utilize those lines that have been there long before we were born long before our parents were born so uh yeah just a lot of stuff is already here it just needs to either be improved or um utilized which in in a sense is expensive like the line from louisville to indiana for amtrak is the most decrepit line literally (laughs) out of all of amtrak (laughs) so it's gonna take a lot of money it's gonna take a lot of manpower but it's doable yeah it's very doable it's it's if it is fixed it's definitely going to be utilized yeah so really you have to think about it in a long-term perspective which sucks because long term is like 20 years yeah so. right but it's a long-term <laughs> investment in the future we need to start building today and i'm so excited about the federal uh, administration's Absolutely. willingness to even think about this and put louisville back on the passenger rail map uh and boy at the time just flew by thanks nora <laughs> for talking about trains with me today Absolutely. thank you for inviting me oh it was such a treat good luck to you in your senior year we're going to be thank returning you. to in person <laughs> it should <Oof>. be back <laughs> to normal to some degree anyway way uh and i'm sure uh i'm sure you'll you'll be able to use a lot of what you learned going forward and you're going to do some kind of presentation on this right absolutely in the fall i'll be developing a poster presentation and presenting it to about a hundred or so people from all over the state uh within my program and outside of my program so very excited to to share my experiences and share my love and interest for rail uh with everybody around me great well good luck with that putting that presentation together and uh Changing the world, one one step <laughs> at a time, <laughs> one rail at a time. All right, folks, uh, stay tuned. Coming up in just a minute, your community action calendar. Oh, yeah, I've got lots of ideas for how you can get engaged in making sustainability a reality now here in Louisville. So stay tuned.
And we are back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, listening to the sweet, sweet sounds of our good friends at Apple Latin. Many thanks to them for giving us permission to use their great local music on the podcast versions of our programs. Remember, you can always find all of our local programs here on Forward Radio archived via SoundCloud at forwardradio.org. And uh, you can learn more about Apple Latin at appalatin.com. Well, it's time for our community action calendar. So get your pencils sharpened and your calendars out, my friend, and get it ready to get on the train for sustainability this week. Uh, so much happening every week of the year, even in the heat of dog days of summer. Well, you might want to stay inside and enjoy some webinars this week. There are nature-based solutions webinars taking place on Tuesdays, July 27th and August 2nd, 10 a.m. to noon. The Kentucky Association of Mitigation Managers and the EPA are partnering with the Kentucky Division of Water, the Nature Conservancy, Kentucky Emergency Management, and the University of Kentucky Martin School to offer a series of two-hour workshops. The webinar series covers nature-based solutions on a variety of topics. Communities have long been implementing nature-based solutions as green infrastructure or low-impact development projects, typically as a result of municipal separate stormwater sewer system programs, EPA consent decrees, or community rating system activities. Climate change and extreme weather events are compounding the impact of natural hazards such as flooding landslides and heat waves. Aging infrastructure in conjunction with stronger, more frequent storms are a rising challenge to our communities. This new normal is constantly testing traditional ideas on hazard mitigation and how communities recover from disasters. Well, nature-based solutions or green infrastructure can reduce damage from natural hazards as well as or even better than traditional engineered projects, often at less cost. What are the webinar topics this Tuesday and next? Well, the webinar series will discuss the whys, what's, and how-tos of utilizing nat natural solutions as mitigation measures. It will cover topics like planning, tools, resources, NBS examples, funding sources, regulations, and more. The series is geared towards planners, elected officials, engineers, and others working to improve resilience in metro areas, small cities, suburban, or rural areas around the Commonwealth. And the topics for Tuesday, July 27th, is how nature-based solutions can help mitigate risk with tools and examples. And it wraps up on August third with the webinar on funding and resources for nature-based solutions. You can register and get more information at kymitigation.org. That's the Tuesday, 10 a.m. to noon nature-based solutions webinars taking place July 27th and August 2nd. Go to kymitigation.org. Hey, speaking of recurring events on Tuesdays, uh, running through the end of August, this one, it's the virtual wild and scenic Red River Fest that I've mentioned on this calendar before. It's every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on Zoom through the end of August. The Kentucky Waterways Alliance is inviting you to join them for this virtual wild and scenic Red River Fest every Tuesday in July and August at 6 p.m. on Zoom, hosted by... KWA's Red River Watershed Coordinator, Laura Gregory. 
Join from anywhere as KWA presents this fourth annual Red River Fest. It's its first time doing it virtually with fun and informational topics about Red River. This year, we have incredible presenters joining us virtually, making this year's festival even more amazing. The topics for this Tuesday, July 27th uh, at 6 p.m. will be citizen sampling in the Red River and Kentucky River, presented by Kentucky River Watershed Watch's Alice Jones. Wonderful woman. Also coming up on August 3rd, it's preparing for your paddle trip and paddle safety, presented by Explore Kentucky Initiative's Amanda Strunk. On the 17th, the Red River, a hotspot for fish diversity. On the 24th, botanizing and plant conservation in the Red River watershed. And it wraps up on the 31st with caring for your household septic system. So a lot of great different topics thanks to KWA. It's free, it's family friendly, and you can learn more and register at kwalliance.org. Now, I also want to remind you that every Friday at noon, the University of Louisville welcomes everyone to come on out to the Garden Commons, located at the southwest corner of Strickler Hall, just east of the Speed Art Museum. All are welcome at our weekly group workdays in UofL's Organic Garden Commons. Uh, it is across the walkway from the biology department's Corfage Native Plant Garden. So while you're there, why don't you check out what's in bloom and exciting the pollinators over across the walkway at the Native Plant Garden. You can join us uh, to learn by doing how to grow hyper-local, super delicious vegetables, herbs, and fruit. Anyone can work in the garden anytime, but we gather together every Friday at noon throughout the summer to plant, weed, water, and harvest and no prior experience is necessary. Tools and gloves are provided and, and everyone is welcome to a share in the harvest. So come on out. It's a great season for, for greens right now. We got beans. We've got uh, just about everything you can imagine being ripe. It's all starting to ripen and uh, it's, it's blackberry season too. It's a great time to check out the Garden Commons at the University of Louisville every Friday at noon. You can learn more at Louisville edu slash sustainability now coming up this weekend friday july 30th and saturday july 31st it's the kentuckians for the commonwealth annual meeting offered online this year on the theme imagining organizing thriving our future together KFTC is a grassroots organization of thousands of members across Kentucky with local chapters and at-large members in many counties. They use a set of core strategies from leadership development to communications and voter empowerment to impact a broad range of sustainability issues, including coal and water, new energy and transition, economic justice, and voting rights. At the annual meeting, KFTC members and friends will gather online to share stories, build skills, and plan for the year ahead. You can register now for the weekend, which will include storytelling from KFTC's first 40 years, as well as the annual business meeting where members will elect the executive committee and board members and a bunch of great workshops. 
The future is what we make together. We can make a future where every Kentuckian has a safe home, clean water, and health care. Where we can send our kids to public schools that equip them to pursue their dreams. Where our jobs earn us a good living and help us live a good life. Where we all have a say in the decisions that impact our lives. We can make a future where we all thrive. That future is possible, but first we have to imagine what we truly want for ourselves, our families, families, and our communities for KFTC and Kentucky. And then we have to organize and take action together to create it. That's why KFTC members are envisioning and implementing an organizational change initiative to set the course for KFTC's future as we celebrate our 40-year history. It's why we push for visionary policies like the Thrive Agenda and work to impact elections and elect bold candidates. So it all kicks off on Friday the 30th at 7 p.m. Eastern with an opening session, then storytelling, celebrating Burt Lauderdale's organizing legacy and 40 years of KFTC from 7.30 to 9 p.m. on Friday. It kicks off on Saturday morning at 10 a.m with the opening plenary session and then 10.30 to noon there'll be a bunch of different morning workshops including deep canvassing it's just good organizing our time to thrive how Kentuckians are organizing for climate justice it's our money and we need it now exploring ways Kentuckians are organizing with allies in labor, youth and environmental and climate justice movements to win solutions that address racial justice create good jobs and protect our health and climate and also a session on abortion as a human right, the grassroots fight for reproductive justice in Kentucky. Of course, state legislatures across the country are passing laws to restrict abortion. And in the wake of new conservative appointments to the Supreme Court, those laws are getting closer and closer to chipping away at our federally protected right to an abortion as well. Here in Kentucky, we're facing an extreme constitutional amendment on the ballot in 2022 that would make it much easier for the state to ban abortion immediately if Roe v. Wade was ever overturned. Well, this workshop will feature a panel of organizers working to build a winning campaign to stop this constitutional amendment. We'll hear from the panel about the coalition of partners working to protect reproductive justice in Kentucky. Uh, and at 2 p.m. on Saturday, there'll be an annual business meeting, and it wraps up at 3 p.m. with a keynote address by the amazing Charles Booker, former guest on this program. You can learn more and register at kftc.org. And real quickly, just want to remind you that every Sunday at noon, it's Compost Church at the University of Louisville at 250 East Bloom Street, one block north of Cardinal Boulevard. Come help us turn trash into treasure as we manage UofL's volunteer-powered community compost operation dressed to get dirty but tools are provided you can learn about worm composting and all participants are welcome to haul back home some rich UFL compost for their own gardening projects or indoor plants in whatever containers you bring more information at louisville.edu sustainability and lastly I want to let you know that the deadline for neighborhood institute applications is coming up on Monday August 2nd the Center for Neighborhoods Neighborhood Institute is a no-cost leadership 
education program designed to equip neighborhood leaders with skills and resources needed to initiate positive change in the community. Dinners are even provided and the fall classes start August 17th. They're every Tuesday, 6 to 8 p.m. for 12 weeks at the Center for Neighborhoods offices and space is limited. So apply now. Applications close August 2nd. You can go to centerforneighborhoods.org to learn how to apply for the Neighborhood Institute. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you for tuning in and I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Thank you for